Last week, we put out a video on our new semiconductor manufacturing equipment index. If you haven't checked out that video yet, we will leave a link in the description and also on the screen here. Make sure you go and check that out first and get signed up to look at that index. We wanted to take some time and show you how this index can be useful to you while you do your market research for your portfolio. And we'll show you how we use this index in our research and how we use the index to make decisions for our portfolio. As many of you have seen our semiconductor industry flowchart, we have talked a lot about the manufacturing equipment portion of the market. And we're going to delve a little bit deeper into that, how this niche fits into the overall industry and why it's such a critical choke point in the semiconductor industry. Before continuing, let me remind you to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if this video is helpful as you do your own investment research and increase your knowledge of business and technology. We really appreciate the support as subscribing to the channel helps us continue putting out content like this. Okay, folks, you are looking at that semiconductor industry flowchart that Casey put together a number of months ago. And as Casey said, that the section we are focusing on here is that one sort of in the middle bottom part of the flow, the wafer fab and chip fab equipment space. So we've called this a critical choke point in the industry. And we'll we'll talk, this episode really is designed to talk about why we call the semiconductor fab and wafer fab equipment niche a choke point. But you can you can see from the flow here uh, how many different parts of the industry sort of intersect and flow through wafer fab equipment. Whether you're a fabless chip designer and you need to hire a third-party chip fab to do it, or if you're an IDM and you design and manufacture your own chips in-house, or maybe you're an EDA company, basically software that helps design chips, uh, or if, if you're a company in need of actual equipment and final devices, you are highly reliant on the folks right here in the middle of this flow. And this equipment is ridiculously expensive to research, develop, and produce. The processes that this, these types of equipment unlock for chip making are literally the most complex manufacturing processes humankind has developed to date. Uh, so this is, this is an industry that's an oligopoly. It's a choke point for a good reason. Over the decades since the semiconductor industry became a thing, basically in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, fab equipment companies have specialized. They've consolidated down to just a select few. And we think, for us personally, offer uh, a fantastic long-term investment opportunity as semiconductors continue to increase in importance in the global economy. We created just a couple of simple visuals here to help you see what is going on in this part of the industry. You can look at this first pie chart here, the top five companies versus everyone else by market cap. By far and away, ASML holds the largest position in this space by market cap, nearly 28% 
followed by applied materials at nearly 11%, LAM research, 8%, Tokyo Electron and KLA sitting at around 6%. And then it drops off significantly. Everyone else makes up the other 41% of this industry. So you can see the top five make up nearly 60%. Another chart that will help you visualize this is the trailing 12-month revenue in billions here. You can see, again, almost 60% of the revenue in the last 12 months was made up by these same five companies, and then everyone else around 40%. And Casey, you, of course, made these charts using the Semiconductor Manufacturing Equipment Index that we shared last Friday. So again, uh, check out the link below to that video and the link to sign up to see that index uh, so you can see the data, um, the raw data that, we, that Casey made these charts from. A couple of caveats here, though, that's interesting, Casey. You put together the market cap for these top five businesses and the trailing 12 month revenue for these, for these five businesses, uh, they're actually probably both higher than 60% of the total industry market cap and revenue because some of the smaller players in the list, uh, not 100% of their revenue is derived from semiconductor manufacturing equipment. Uh, for example, number, number six on our list, just as an example, Hitachi, um, that's one that we probably will move over to a separate list, a larger industrial conglomerates and larger tech conglomerates list that we've begun putting together. Uh, a minority share of Hitachi's revenue comes from actual uh, semiconductor manufacturing equipment industry revenue. Same goes for companies like uh, Canon and Fujifilm. Um, those are two competitors, two key competitors for ASML holding. But you know, historically, those are those are like camera technology businesses, and again, a minority part of their business is explicitly from semiconductor equipment. Uh, but we've gone ahead and included their market caps in here, and to a certain extent, also some of these companies' revenue in the picture. But even when including those businesses in there, you can still see over sixty percent dominated by those top five. That's what we mean when we say this is an oligopoly. You have basically five companies that have specialized in a very complicated, very expensive niche. And for the smaller competitors out there, they are going to be very, very hard pressed to break into this top five list. It's just going to be a monumental task for them to achieve. So by and large, we think most investors will be best served focusing and learning about just these top five companies first. If you don't know much about these top five, ASML, Applied Materials, LAM Research, Tokyo Electron, and KLA Core, focus your attention on them, get acquainted with what, with what they do, and the technological leadership that they each, each one of them possesses in their own unique way. When we start to look at an industry where we think there is going to be a secular growth trend or where there is currently a secular growth trend, something that's going to continue for the next several years, we look at the companies that are the largest in that industry, try to master understanding how these businesses fit in that industry, and then then we can move on to some smaller companies as well and take a look if, and see if they are good investments. 
So just a little brief insight into our investment process. Nick is going to explain to us the semiconductor making process, which sounds very daunting, but I promise it's going to be very understandable. I can understand it, so I know everyone can. But we're going to start with the very first part, making the sausages. No pressure. Okay. Uh, well, I think that's a good illustration that you like to use, Casey, and it's appropriate. So the first step in making a chip, a semiconductor, is you make, you make a sausage, a sausage out of silicon. And, and, and so this is, these things are called bowls, silicon bowls. We actually have a separate list of companies that we, that we have indexed that focus on, on this. They're kind of raw material suppliers in a way, uh, highly fragmented space, uh, sort of a basic commodity. And so we haven't talked about many of these companies, two of them that, that maybe some have heard of, Renesas and Sultronic. Again, we have a list, maybe we'll put that out eventually, but not an area we're particularly interested in investing in. But basically these companies make a big sausage, usually it's 200 millimeters or 300 millimeters in diameter out of silicon or some other semiconductive material. When you say these bulls are made out of semiconductor materials, that could include not only silicon, but silicon carbide and gallium nitride. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, check our last video on on semiconductor um, and some of the highlights from the interview I conducted with CFO Thad Trent. We are in process of bringing much of this manufacturing step in-house at OnSemi, where they actually make their own silicon carbide bowls directly in-house. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, a semiconductive material, it could be usually silicon, but it could be some other semiconductive substrate as well. And then maybe, Casey, also we should maybe add, when, I, when we say semiconductive material, it's some sort of either a pure element or a compound material between two elements that is neither a conductive material, meaning electricity easily flows through it, that would maybe be like copper, uh, nor is it an insulator. So that might be uh, um, a compound material like glass or diamond, which is super dense carbon, basically, uh, uh, an insulator, so it does not conduct electricity. So basically, silicon is a semiconductor. It sits in between, depending on the situation and maybe um, some ways it's modified in the manufacturing process. It could either conduct electricity or it could insulate or, or prevent the flow of electricity. So you get these bowls of semiconductive material. They get sliced up into uh, sausage slices <laughs> or pepperoni slices. So those are those big round discs that sometimes you see someone holding there in the lab suit and the bunny suit, and they're holding a big, a big round wafer. That's where those wafers come from. It starts out as a big giant log and then they get sliced. So this is actually the very first step in the process. Okay. Now we're going to throw up the chart that we've used in a few previous videos from applied materials. This is where things get interesting because this is where the, these top five companies have focused all of their 
products on. Yes, this is often referred to as the front end development of the wafers. This is where the actual properties of what will eventually become a chip get made. Um, so you end up with these wafers and there's a series of steps that take place. You can see on the far left of this chart, Casey, uh, lithography. And uh, this chart basically shows the market share per company per type of equipment. So ASML in purple, which uh, Casey, you you color coded these in the, the previous charts you showed, previous pie charts you showed. ASML is the purple company. Um, a monopoly on lithography equipment, specifically extreme ultraviolet lithography equipment, as well as other types of uh, ultraviolet lithography equipment, thus the color purple. This next step in the front end prep of the wafer is where the wafer has basically some sort of photoresist coating put on it. Uh, now, this photoresist coating will change the property of the silicon or whatever the substrate is that, that's used uh, to make the wafer so that it will eventually become a better conductor or resistor of electricity. So this photoresist coating is deposited and then lithography step takes place. That's where an ASML machine uh, is used to shine some sort of ultraviolet light through a reticle, basically that's a, a pattern that that traces uh, a pattern and it's shown onto the wafer and that light pattern, when it strikes the wafer, the parts of the light that strike the wafer react with the photoresist material and then the parts of the pattern where light is not shining on, that, that part of the photoresist does not react with anything. Um, so that's lithography. That reaction, depending on the photoresist material that's used, might turn the exposed portion of light into like a type of very hard resin or epoxy, or it might weaken the, the material, the silicon, which leads us to the next couple of steps. Uh, clean track or removal of the photoresist. So you can hear, see here in the chart in this step, this is an area dominated by Tokyo Electron. That's in yellow, T-E-L, Tokyo Electron. Uh, to a lesser extent, LAM Research, they're in green. And then a number of other companies in, in gray. So the photoresist material is removed. There might be some more deposition, some more layers of, of other material laid down on top here through perhaps epitaxy, and then also etch. This is where the removal of any unwanted material from the lithography step happens. And the end result here through this further deposition, epitaxy or epi, and then also etch, is you end up with these uh, microscopic channels and elevated sections on the surface of the wafer. Basically, what you're left over is with these microscopic channels, sometimes as little as a few nanometers in dimension, and also some elevated sections on the surface of the wafer. You can think of this like a, a small microscopic city grid on the surface of this wafer. Uh, the next step 
ion implantation, sometimes referred to as doping. This, this is basically when, is when uh, electrons of another element other than silicon uh, get charged into the wafer to further enhance conductivity, perhaps in just certain segments of the wafer. Um, also, a, a process called planarization, where some of the surfaces are smoothed down. You, you can see here in the chart, many of these steps is where things really start to get disaggregated between um, three of the companies in particular, Applied Materials, LAM Research, and Tokyo Electron. Some of these specialty processes dominated specifically by applied materials, so different types of epitaxy and deposition. You can see the big blue bars, that's applied materials. Other areas like etch, LAM Research does a, a particularly good job here. And then CMP, ion implantation, thermal implant, different processes there. Uh, applied materials, again, pops up. We're actually going to skip to the very, very far right, very skinny little section there called ECD or electrochemical deposition, sometimes called electroplating. After all of those channels are made, uh, you have the laying down of copper interconnects between those microscopic features on the wafer. This kind of helps with the flow of electricity throughout the eventual chip. And then we'll back up here to process diagnostic and control or PDC, uh, or sometimes you'll see this called metrology. This is actually done throughout the process to make sure that each step is performed correctly, the tiny features on the wafer are lined up accurately, and this is where KLA core comes in. KLA, far and away the largest company involved in process diagnostics and control and metrology. Um, and so many of these steps actually happen many times over and over again. There can be dozens, sometimes hundreds of steps in this front end wafer development here. Uh, this is where so much research and development has gone into the chip making process over the decades. Uh, these pieces of equipment are super expensive, sometimes tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a piece per piece of equipment. There's usually software and services attached to them. Really, really high value pieces of equipment and very, very difficult for competitors to get a foot in the door here, specifically in this second overall second step of the chip making process. Okay, Casey, I'm sorry. Are you still with me? I'm still with you. I think that was a good overview of this section of the process. So what happens when these wafers are complete? Good question. This is the final step. This is often called the back end process or packaging. You'll often hear this called packaging. This is where those wafers are actually diced up into the actual chips, little chiplets, the little square pieces of silicon that have been uh, highly processed and manufactured during step two that I just outlined. Um, and so the chips are cut out of the wafer and then they are packaged onto a circuit board with other chips, and then finally installed in a computing device. And so there are a lot of companies also involved with the packaging process. It's perhaps um, not as commoditized 
as the very first step, the creation of the silicon bowls uh, that are sliced into the in, into wafers, basically the salami, big, big logs of salami sliced up into pieces of salami. Packaging, maybe not that commoditized. Um, you actually have some specialist companies involved here, including Applied Materials. They do a lot with packaging, uh, as well as a few other companies like BE Semiconductor and Kulik and Sofa, uh, which you can find further down the list in the smaller companies in the semiconductor equipment index. On the semiconductor manufacturing equipment index that we created on Airtable, you'll notice that one of the columns says chip stock investor portfolio holding. So this will let you know if we currently own a position in that company, as well as if it's on the, our watch list. One thing that you may find interesting is that we do not own all five of the top companies here in this space. So Nick, why is that? Okay. So maybe thinking about that applied materials wafer manufacturing chart again, you'll see on the index, our, our top two holdings really in this far and away, our top two holdings in this entire sub industry are ASML and applied materials. This is where most of our money is invested in this, in this niche. And the reason that is, is ASML is the specialist. In fact, they're so specialized, specialized that they have a total monopoly on one particular piece of equipment, extreme ultraviolet lithography, EUV. And then we primarily own applied materials, not just because it's the, the biggest company in this space by revenue, but also you'll notice again in that chart, they have the broadest portfolio of equipment. Uh, you see those blue lines here uh, peppered throughout the entire wafer wafer manufacturing process as well as you know what's not pictured here is the back the actual back end packaging of the chips as well applied materials uh, a key component there as well as a top research and development company in the space so very very broad and so basically we wanted a specialist and a generalist uh, applied materials is actually our oldest holding here uh, we've had that one for years um, and that's why we started with it. It was it was the biggest company in the space and the broadest portfolio. Later on, we added ASML because it's the specialist in lithography. And then uh, number five on the list, KLA, we actually just put that on the chart as a holding because we will be purchasing this one. We like its focus on process di diagnostic and control and metrology equipment. It's the biggest component of that space. We sort of missed it when it was at its cheapest, but we still think it is very, very fairly valued. Uh, we think process diagnostic and control will continue to be a very important and high growth part of this industry in the coming years as a lot of companies migrate to more advanced chip making capabilities. So that's why we recently added KLA Core to that as a stock that we own in this space. Uh, LAM Research and Tokyo Electron might be forever stocks on our watch list. Um, again, I think we missed the boat on LAM Research when it was really, really ultra cheap. Tokyo Electron, both of these companies, they're, they're generalists, but they're not as broadly generalized as applied materials. So we feel like we're not necessarily going to get a lot of 
diversification in our portfolio by adding these companies to the mix. Um, in fact, you know, we kind of like a little bit of focus that way we don't fall into the diversification category, but maybe that's a different video topic for another time. As far as small cap companies in this space, we do own, we have a position in onto innovation and we did have a position in air test systems. So Nick, why do we still own onto and why did you sell air test systems? So when we decided to take a position in advanced process diagnostic and control and metrology, we went with onto innovation a number of months ago because it looked really cheap, uh, especially relative to its growth profile. It's a very, very small company, but they have kind of kind of carved out a, a tiny little, what's not called a moat, but they have really focused in on advanced metrology, especially for the EUV lithography process. So we think if you know ASML continues to install more and more EUV lithography equipment uh, around the world in, in new fabs and other fabs getting uh, retrofitted with more advanced equipment, we think onto has a great opportunity to kind of wedge itself, insert itself into this industry a little bit more. So that's why we ended up with onto rather than KLA core right out the gate. But as we mentioned, we're maybe not course correcting, but we're adding to a KLA core here. As far as air test systems go, you can, you can see from the index and the data you put together here, Casey, just how tiny this, this company is. This is a business that does less than a hundred million dollars in revenue on an annualized basis. They're, they're basically over 60 million headed towards 70, maybe $80 million a year in revenue amongst absolute giants, companies that do many billions of dollars in revenue. We are still very bullish on air test systems. Uh, link to our last video on them. If you're unclear of what they do exactly, um, they are kind of a, kind of been labeled a silicon carbide pure play, or maybe like an electric vehicle chips pure play. Uh, because of the silicon carbide test and burn-in equipment that they've developed. But basically, this stock has gotten really, really frothy. In our last video, we talked about fair value. We thought fair value was maybe 30 bucks or less, given the information that we currently have right now. And when we initially bought this last year, it was at like 16 bucks a share. And it shot over 40 bucks here in recent weeks. Um which puts it at well over 80 times earnings, uh, trailing 12-month earnings. That seems very frothy for such a small business that, frankly, does have competition. They they are out in front of that competition. Uh, one of those competitors is um, a company called Teradyne, which makes automatic test equipment. Um, but essentially... I won't say that air test systems just makes probe cards, but essentially if you boil the technology down to it, it's, it's a probe card. It's, it's a basically a system that has like very, very small needle like electrical connections that get probed into the wafer and test it for electrical defects. There's also some important 
qualities that get developed in that process as well that are especially important for electric vehicles. And there's competition here. So high valuation. Um, this is a business that is not going to just grow straight up um, all the time. It's going to be cyclical. So we thought this thing got a bit frothy and we're on hold until they report on their earnings and provide a, a new fiscal year update late in June. Let's now talk about the European specialists. So ASML, ASM International, BE Semi, Axtron. Why are these at such a premium and why don't we hold most of them? We only, in, in this list, we only hold ASML currently. So why don't we own any of these others? We think each one of them has a premium on on their stock price because like you said, Casey, they are specialists. So again, just using the industry index that we put together, ASM International, not to be confused with ASML, uh, the specialist in lithography, ASM International, a different Dutch company, uh, is a specialist in deposition, epitaxy, uh, including for silicon carbide. So we think that's part of the reason why there's um, a little bit of premium on that stock as well. BE Semiconductor, uh, this is another one that's very interesting. They do advanced packaging and dye attach. So that last step where the wafer gets chopped up and then packaged onto a circuit board, BE Semi has a lot of advanced packaging technology. Uh, that's their focus. Eichstron, a specialist in chemical vapor deposition. So deposition specialist, again, including for silicon carbide. So, so each of these, a specialist, but though they're a specialist, they're not a dominant force in their particular specialty. Each of them has ample competition from companies like Applied Materials, among others, that kind of dominate their space. And so there, there's always, we think, some risk that, you know, if you're a smaller business, though you may have a specialty or like a secret sauce that enables you to sell a decent amount of equipment, but not absolutely dominate your space, there's always risk that maybe you get steamrolled when one of your larger, deeper pocketed peers comes out with some innovation. So there's a high premium on these stocks. They're on our watch list though, because if we were to buy them, we'd like to see them at a more favorable price. And in the meantime, applied materials trading for less than 20 times earnings and free cash flow. Uh, we just kind of like the longer term risk to reward ratio for applied materials right at the moment. Hopefully you enjoyed this brief overview of this part of the semiconductor industry, how it works exactly, and the companies that are the biggest players in this space. We also hope that you are enjoying the index that we put together. Please let us know if there's anything that you would like to see on there. We'll see what we can do as far as incorporating it and any uh, suggestions on improvements to it. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a video. If you feel like leaving us a tip, the link is in the description and in the comments as well for our coffee account. We really appreciate all of your support and for being part of this community. Thanks again.